be seated. Amen. Hey, uh, I'm Daniel Wagner. I'm the student pastor here. It's really a privilege to get to be here today. Uh, you know, it's fun being one of the pastors here, but not being like the lead pastor here. So thanks, Robert, for giving me a crack to talk about something that we, uh, I think, all probably have an opinion about, but uh, has kind of been, I think, twisted is probably a little, maybe a little dramatic, but definitely influenced um, by the world. Uh, before I do that, I really just do want to say this is something that's really near and dear to my heart that I think we do incredibly well as a church. Um, so I didn't really feel like I had to put a ton of time into this yesterday, even though uh, it was a great SEC football weekend that I denied myself of for you guys because I love you. I mean, you know, Mississippi State didn't have a chance to lose yesterday, almost beat Arkansas for the first time in three years. I mean, just some great things happening in football. In football, and um, I'm glad to like you know be up here, and I like I turned away from the TV screen to be here today. So, thank you for respecting my sacrifice, as we saw unprecedented upsets. Um, only in Jackson, Mississippi, would that get laughter, and I'm glad to be here today. So, here's what we're talking about. I think everybody has an opinion on this, um, and as soon as I say this, I, I really do ask. Um, since you're invested in laughter now, not to check out, uh, what we're going to talk about today is, is justice. And um, justice is something that everyone has an opinion about, has been shaped by, and we are called to as Christians. So here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm kind of going to set up the tension of what justice is and what justice isn't. Uh, we're kind of going to talk about a little bit of how we operate there and what God's called us to do, and then some practical how-tos there at the end. So we're talking about justice, and um, man, some walls are probably going up in, in you guys right now because justice is, is really a buzzword right now, right? You turn TV on, or you read the newspaper, or you read a blog or article or something, you're going to hear some kind of miscarriage of justice or some kind of um, opinion of someone who might identify themselves as a social justice warrior. And the last thing I want you to do is see me stand up here as a, a 20-something uh, telling you what sort of opinions you need to have based on any value that I have. I mean, I, look, I think I've got some good insights, but I don't think they're great. So we're going to see a lot of Bible today. And uh, please don't hear this as uh, an assault, really, on who you are, any values you might have. But I do pray that you would take a look at the Scripture and uh, maybe that we'd be challenged together to see what justice really is and how God calls us to be people who value it. So let's jump right in. Isaiah 58. This is a passage that, um, before we do this, Robert and I were talking the other day about this. Um, you know, as Fonner Church was getting started, as we were meeting in Dueling Hall and had started the process of moving over to this building, uh, there was a dinner for leaders, some key leaders at Fonner Church. And uh, they came over and prayed here in this place. And uh, right out there in the foyer, if you feel inclined to turn your head backwards, that's cool, but I promise it's still there. We didn't move it. The foyer right back there, there were, uh, this passage was there. So a call to justice and a biblical justice is near and dear to the heart of who we are at Fodner Church. And I just want to say in my three years and a couple of months here, I mean, I, I've been influenced by so many of you that I mean, I can make eye contact with today who have really taught me what it is to do justice in a way that honors Jesus in a biblical way. So let's take a look at a great passage, Isaiah 58. 
beautiful ancient words from a prophet that I think have a lot of relevance to us today. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voices be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourselves from your own flesh and blood? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call. The Lord will answer. You shall cry. He will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourselves out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light be as the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your desire in the scorched places, make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. A beautiful passage, lots of poetry. Here's what it meant then and what it means now. These people that Isaiah is writing to, the people of God, are really pious people, super religious people. They were fasting, and this passage really implies that they were fasting regularly. So they had this ongoing religious activity, right? They really did know God in relationship with him. And uh, this fast was something that they did often, but they just weren't connecting with God, right? He was withholding himself. He wasn't answering their prayers. They didn't feel his blessing. They felt like he was far from them. And then God spoke into this silence, and he answered to them, that uh, even though you're doing these outwardly religious things, which are, are good things, are honoring me, you're neglecting these things, which I value equally. And uh, so often for us, that, that's the category we find ourselves in, right? Like we, man, we are here. You've, you've woken up on a Sunday, and sure, there was no you know, home football games this weekend, so it's a little easier to get here than some other ones, but you're here on a Sunday morning, man. You are, you're the people of God gathered, and you should feel great about that in uh, a way that, you know, honors God. There you go. Like, great job, guys. Congratulations. But there's more to us, right, than just the people gathered here. God's given us a responsibility, a call, a privilege to be the kind of people who live our faith out for other people. We're familiar with that, right? Like, if you've come to Foner Church a couple of times, you know that, yeah, we're calling people to deep personal relationship with Jesus, we're calling people to know God, but there's also this outward part of our faith. 
that as we know Jesus, as we strengthen our relationship with him, as we know more and more of who he is, we see the kind of people that we're supposed to be. People who live our lives, pour our lives out for the sake of others. And in this particular passage, this Isaiah passage, man, there's something that so often it's easy for us to get away from. I, um, I don't know if you guys have figured this out about me. It's kind of a secret that I try to keep um, hidden deep inside of me. I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this, but um, I'm white. I'm very white, incredibly white. I uh, like so white that when I was in college, I did like a mixtape with a couple of guys and put it on SoundCloud and it had a little circulation, but it was really bad. So I've like buried it deep. Like I'm that, I'm that white. Um, and I'm also a man, right? So I'm a white male. So it's, it's kind of hard for me sometimes to really think about injustice as something that I've received, right? It's hard for me to empathize with that. So because of that, I can feel guilt or I can have confusion about what that really means or what it really looks like to be a, a justice kind of person. But uh, the Bible's really clear for us that even though it may not be convenient, even though we may not like it, even though it might not always be easy, that Christians need to be justice people. We need to be justice people. So it's what we're called to do, right? Like Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? To love justice and to do mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord your God, right? That we would, we would be people who, who do justice, and that we would love being merciful to people, and that we would, in deep relationship with God, walk humbly. Okay, great, understood. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Here's what we're about to do. Uh, I'm a student pastor here, so I try to tap into pathways that students are familiar with. So uh, we do lots of definitions whenever I'm teaching. So we're gonna put two Hebrew words up, uh, these two words. Mishpat and Sakata. So, will you say those with me? So, Mishpat and Sakata. Okay, yeah, that's great. Wow, you guys are, you're great. Hebrew 101. Uh, here's the idea. These are both words that have to do with justice. So, whatever we read justice in the Bible, there's a call to justice. These are the words that um, are usually associated with it. This idea of Mishpat is this idea of a judgment or what's to do to someone. So it is very much a, you've committed a wrong. This is your punishment. This is wrong. This is a correction. And look, you read the Old Testament, full of that. I mean, as God is creating a people for himself, he's outlining legal procedure for people because he was purifying a people. God is very much about due process and systems of right and wrong because it helps people thrive. God's a God of justice in that way. But there's this other side to Mishpat that, that's kind of lost for us in a Western sense of justice, right? That a judgment or what's due would only be for offenders. But there's this Hebrew idea there that people are due something because they're created in the image of God. That people are valuable, right? That whether they look like you or talk like you or live in the same kind of house or drive the same kind of car or live on the other side of the world, that we all have value because we all are created in the image of God and because of that deserve a certain treatment. And then this next idea, the idea of cicada, 
it's kind of been um, boiled down in modern Judaism to be charity or good works, which is kind of right. It's this idea that God's people, us, would be engaged in helping the world become more of what it's supposed to look like. That it would be more of the world that God created Adam and Eve for in the garden. But because of your sin and my sin and the sin of the world, the world's broken down. I mean, when I said justice at the beginning, sure, you had, you know, opinions of, like, things that have flashed up on the news and, you know, ways that you may have been treated poorly or treated people poorly. But um, everyone inside of them has this deep cry for justice, right? Like we see the hurt, we see the inequality in the world. And God's put that in our hearts to be the people who go out and act and do on his behalf. So that idea of Takata, it's that we would be God's people in the world who are helping to build back this idea of God's original creation and the way that he's created things to be fair and just and right. Uh, John Perkins is really a, a hometown hero here in Jackson, Mississippi. He's really a leader, not just in some civil rights things, which is, which is true, but so much more than that. He uh, really is a leader in the church and, and a kind of a modern theologian. Uh, he had a great line about justice. It's really sort of shaped uh, a lot of how I've thought about it. And this is what it says, what he says. Justice is any act of reconciliation that restores any part of God's creation back to its original intent, purpose, or image. When I think about justice that way, it doesn't surprise me that God loves it. It includes both the acts of social justice and the restorative justice found on the cross. Okay, before I lose you on social justice, because there's the buzzword, right? Let's, let's, let's do more definitions. Social, involving people, right? Justice, let's just use the biblical definition of justice we define. So it's this idea, right, that there is justice that we as Christians are supposed to do in the world. Cool. But then there's also this large idea, this restorative justice that Jesus is doing on the cross. Right? That when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a sacrifice for you and for me, but for all people to know him and to experience the fullness of life in him. And that's justice. Right? The justice that we do to people, the ways that we help people receive justice as God's people, that's an extension of God's restorative justice to the world. I didn't do this in the first service, so uh, I don't know, maybe you're getting the premium experience. I don't know, unless this is bad, and then maybe you want to switch to the 930. The best way I've ever heard this um, described to me, this idea of like justice and how all of God's people are created, um, like woven together is kind of this idea. So this is a towel that I found. And I hope it's not gross, because I literally just picked it up off of a room in the second floor. Um, so we have doctors here. If I get sick, I'll just, i see you, Dr. Jimmy. I'll come see you this week. So, like, you know, this is a towel. It's pretty strong, you know. It's kind of woven together well. And this is this idea, right, that, like, I'm a fiber, and you're a fiber, and people who don't look like us might be the marginalized in society, right, that they're also fibers in this and God's creation and that we're all woven together, right, in a, in a way that's strong and good and useful. But if I, like, get in here and start ripping this thing up and start tearing out fibers, then this thing, like, loses its 
function and its purpose, right? It grows weaker and it becomes more vulnerable and less structural as a towel. And you guys have probably seen this in the world, right? Like as things break down, like things become weaker, they're not as good as they were supposed to be, not as intended in their original design. But God calls us to be the kind of people who step into that and who seek to repair and restore the brokenness. I don't know how to sew, or else I would, that would be really cool if I just broke out a sewing needle and fixed that. I'm not, you do not want to see that. Um, I'm free to receive lessons if you guys are interested in teaching me how to sew. Anyway, I'll move on. But here's the thing. Uh, for us, like we hear that. That's great. But you might be sitting there and saying, hey, Daniel, I, I just don't know if uh, I really care that much about the poor or the marginalized in society. I mean, I do, don't get me wrong. Like, they definitely, they need our help. God calls me to do that. But I'd love to offer you a little bit of scripture as we think about the kind of people that God has called us to be. A couple of Proverbs, a couple of things straight out of the mouth of Jesus. So here we go. Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Let's go to the next one. Whoever opposes the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And then straight out of the mouth of Jesus, we have, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And they devour widows' houses, and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be most severely punished. Those are just a few passages in the Bible that really paint this picture that God is for the poor. He's for the orphan and the widow and for the foreigner, alien, sojourner, right? He's for the people who are on the margins of society, the marginalized. And if we're his people, we're going to be about those people too. And that Really, as Jesus said in Matthew 25, like what you do to the least of these is what you do to me, we'd see, love, and value these people. A theological term for you guys that I think is, is great, been really helpful for me, uh, that we'd be people who love these, the quartet of the vulnerable. And that just makes you feel smart when you say that out loud, right? The quartet of the vulnerable. The orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor. Four categories that you could think of in your mind right now that you have seen people in, that you are familiar with people who maybe fall in these categories, who need justice. And not a secular justice, not a worldly justice, not something that lost people can give. I mean, that's great, right? Like, there are some great social organizations in the world that do great work, right? And because of Christians in them, they do even better work. But I'm talking about you as an individual. When we go and we meet a need, we offer something far greater than a non-believer who goes and meets a need. Right? When a non-believer goes and meets a need, what, what do they do? You know, they offer um, temporary assistance. You know, they meet a physical need. They help maybe break oppressive social structures. You know, that Isaiah passage talked about breaking the yoke. I think that's what that is, breaking social structures. They 
you know, they do kind of what they feel like doing, whatever the justice flavor of the month is, that's what they're all about. And they really offer a, a temporary solution, right, to a problem. So if they're hungry, they give somebody food. And if somebody needs clothes, they give somebody clothes. Place to stay, give them a place to stay. You see where we're going? But a Christian, right, what can we do? We can do all those things. We can meet a need. We can address oppressive structures. But we offer the gospel, right? We can show someone, hey, look, I am giving to you. I am giving you justice, what you deserve, because God has a great love and a great value for you. And he's given to me, so now I'm given to you, right? And something that would alleviate a temporary need over here is good, but something that alleviates a permanent need here is is great. And we're only going to get more and more of that whenever we, right, as the people of God, enter into doing justice. Here's an example that I think uh, we'll all get, right, because we live in in Jackson. Um, So let's say there is a, a guy who's 17, 18 years old, functionally, you know, illiterate, can't read super well because he went to bad schools. So um, he is not able to get jobs super well, you know, probably no opportunity for higher education, maybe not even any kind of vocational training. So let's say we got a guy like that. Okay, here's where we tend to go as people. So let's say, like, stick with me for a little bit. Please don't be offended immediately. Uh, You know, if you're all the way on the left, you're probably going to say, you know, well, this is a result of oppressive systems and structures, right? That kid was behind from the very start, and uh, that's the problem, okay? Let's say you're all the way on the right. You're going to say, well, this is a result of the breakdown of the nuclear family. And I would say there's probably a little bit of truth to both of those things. Probably should meet in the middle a little bit, not to be incredibly political, but there we go. Um, I love politics, love people in politics. We got some great people here who are engaged political sector does some great things in the state. Um, But look, here's the thing. Like, we really do have opinions that will paint people in a certain perspective and keep us from ever meeting a need. But no one would ever say, right, at seven or eight years old that that kid should have been like, hey, you know what, mom and dad, I think that we need to move to a better school district. I think that I don't have very many opportunities here and I should really change some things that are going on in my life, right? No one would ever say that. And that is an oppressive system, right? That we as God's people need to run to. And regardless of how we feel like people got in that place, because believe me, I have plenty of opinions of how people got in places. And sometimes that can keep me from doing a work of justice. That's probably familiar to a lot of you, right? Like we can say people have gotten in this spot or The world did that to them. And you know what? I don't know that it really matters how people got to a place. But God calls us to be people who go to where people are, give them the gospel, and help them experience the fullness of a Christian life. So uh, here's the thing. For us, we're in this interesting spot as people who are God's people. There's really no neutral position for justice in the Bible. Either we're, we're for justice or we, in our passivity, or just kind of sitting on the sidelines, we're a part of injustice for people, right? And this is justice macro, right? This is all people who need justice. So 
Like, let me ask you, like, do, we, do, we really, do we really care? I ask myself this a lot. Do I really care? I mean, am I? Am I praying for the orphan, the widow, and the poor, and the vulnerable? Am I serving those people? Do I know what's going on in the world? Am I trying to be a part of the solution? Because when we're not a part of the solution, we're not a part of the solution. God's called us to be the people who go to injustice and help give people the gospel, what they truly need, so they can live a full and fruitful life. Now, you could be like me at this point and go, wow, I don't really feel great about this. And uh, there are probably some things that we could all do better, right? I mean, there are some of you guys out in the crowd, I'm telling you, you are, you're doing great works of justice. You're loving people super well in the way that you serve, in the way that you give, in the way that you pray, and God's honoring that. Um, but all of us, we could probably take one more step, right, towards meeting needs, being justice people. And often we can run to a place of guilt, which in my experience has always been a bad motivator, right? I've never been motivated by guilt for very long. Typically guilt is from Satan and it goes away very quickly. But I think one thing for us really to do is to be motivated by beauty, right? By the beauty of what God calls us to do. And when I think about that, I think about beauty and justice and how they share the word fair. Fair. Not like the Mississippi State Fair, which is always a great experience. I go there, I pay way too much money for food. I should never eat. I see people who I just cannot believe live in the same state as me. And uh, like, I just have a great experience there, but not that kind of fair, fair. And you know, we don't really, we're not super Elizabethan anymore. We don't look at people and go, oh wow, you really look fair today. Like single guys out there, don't roll up to a girl and be like, hey girl, you're looking mighty fair today. Like it's just not, it's not gonna do it, okay? But fair is in beauty and fair is in justice. And it's this idea, right, that we are, we're restoring things to a way, to a, to a good aesthetic, right? To a level where things make sense, and to a level where things are beautiful. And that's what we do when we're people who are moved to justice. So some beauty for us as God calls us to the beauty of the work he's doing in justice is this. We can live fulfilled lives. This has been my experience as I've gone to serve people. I've been filled up. And it doesn't make any sense, honestly. When you think, man, I, you know, I'm really giving my time and, you know, I'm giving some money and, and I'm really praying and, you know, my heart is for this cause and I got other things going on in my life and it just doesn't really make sense that, you know, I'd feel filled up whenever I'm pouring out like this. But this is the scriptural promise we see in Isaiah. And the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your desires in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. I, uh, I was recently on some medicine for something that's wrong with me. That's a different story. But I, uh, I was taking this medicine called Topamax. If you're the maker of Topamax, I'd love to have a conversation with you because it made my bones hurt. Like, literally, they felt like they were on fire. Not in a cool way. I don't know if that's even possible, but it really hurt. Um, so, like, me and, you know, like elderly women were experiencing bone pain, which is strange for a man in his 20s to have that, but uh, it was, it's kind of made that make your bones strong really come alive for me, right? But that's what God offers to us. He offers us, right, like 
this, this inner strength, this resiliency, and then waters that fill us up and don't run dry. In contrast, there's a rebuke from Amos that I love. Needs a little bit of context, but not too much. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. So, cows. Here's the context. Uh, the cows of Bashan were these beautiful cows who lived up on this mountain. And uh, there's not a lot of fertile ground in Palestine, just some spots. And these cows lived up on this mountain. And they had all this good grass and stuff to eat. And because of that, they grew nice and fat and just kind of hung out there all the time. And some people would see these cows and they'd say, hey, you'd look really good back at my place. So they'd bring these cows down and they just didn't assimilate into cow life very well. So they'd kind of grown useless. And um, we probably all can identify in one of those two categories, right? Like the seasons where we've really been giving our life away, we've really been pouring out, we've really been investing in the marginalized of society, right? We feel filled up. But then the seasons where we've turned in and maybe been a little more selfish, where we've kept to ourselves and looked to our own interests, right? We felt empty. We've kind of felt useless. And that's because God's created us to be people who've joined him in this work. God is reconciling the world back to himself. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation that we'd be people who see needs and meet needs and give people the gospel. That's what he's made us for. So when we're not doing that, it's not going to feel right. The second is that we show the world the power of the gospel at work. We show the world the power of the gospel at work. Man, think about it. When people see Christians who are pouring their lives out for the marginalized, for the kind of people that nobody cares about, nobody wants to be around, nobody really gives time to, they're going to see who we are. And they're going to want to know what's going on. God's going to be honored in that, and we'll see people come to faith. Look, if you're a parent in the room and you have students, it's been a privilege for me to work with students here for three years, and um, you know, it's kind of my seventh year doing student ministry in some capacity. Um, man, I've been able to see the kind of parents who've parented children really well. They're the kind of parents who show kids that uh, life is about serving and blessing people. So if you're a parent, you want to raise great kids, I'd encourage you, serve with your kids. Show them how to care. Show them how to love people. We get this, right? When we live our life well, people are going to want to know. They're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. They're going to want to know what's going on. They're going to see the power of the gospel at work. Third, we honor something near and dear to God's heart. This is who God says he is. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. He sets the lonely in families and leads out the prisoners with singing. God cares about the people that other people have left behind. He does. And he's called us to be the kind of people who care about those people. So you're looking at me and you're like, great, Daniel, that's cool. Like, I see a lot of Bible. Thank you for the introductory lesson to appropriate Christian biblical justice. Now, where do we go from here? And uh, I, I really want to tell you, I don't really know where you go from here. I have a couple of uh, insights couple of things I'd like to put in front of you, but we'd love to help you get to the place that you feel like God's leading you to go. And we're engaging some great partners here at Funner Church. We're a great church for this city, 
So here's what I tell you to do. Have margin for the marginalized. Have margin for the marginalized. Here's a commandment in Deuteronomy. Then we'll wrap up. Do not deny justice to the foreigner or the fatherless. Do not take a widow's cloak as security. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from that place. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. If you're harvesting in your field and you forget a sheaf there, do not go back to get it. It's to be left for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So it's this idea, right, that as people are gathering, as they're going, as they're going about their life, and they're taking in what they have, right, that if they leave anything behind, if there's anything left over, if there's anything they can sacrifice, that they'd give that, that they'd leave that for the people on the margins. And I don't know what that looks like for you, right? I don't know if you've got some time that you can step into some areas of service. I don't know if you've got some prayers that you can start sending up. I don't know if you've got some checks that you can write. I don't don't know you. I really don't. I'd love to know you. But you know you. You know what God might be leading you to do, right? He's calling us to be people who serve for justice. Not a weird justice, not a secular justice, but a biblical justice that says, hey, I see you. I see you are so valuable because God's created you. I'm going to give you what you need so you can see what you really need, and that's Jesus. So would you join us here? Or we're doing a great work. I hope you're back here next Sunday. Not to make a plug, but I hope you're back here next Sunday. Robert's going to lead us in a great time of vision for our church. So I don't know what you're doing, but it's worth being back. We're headed into a great season where I think God's leading us to do some great things in this city. So I pray that you would think, how can you be the kind of person who serves and blesses the marginalized so that we can be a people of justice? Let's stand up and I'll pray. God, we're grateful for you. God, for all the ways that you love and bless us. God, I'm grateful for every man and woman and child in this room. And God, for your great love for us. Lord, it's only because of your love and your sacrifice on the cross. God, that you've given us a grace that we don't deserve. God, that we really can even God, have a conversation about what justice really is. God, because even though we didn't de- deserve anything, you've given us everything. God, we pray that we'd be people who would meet needs. God, that you'd show us needs. God, that when we, uh, when we meet people's needs, God, you give us opportunities to meet an ultimate need in you. God, that you'd help us see people come to faith because of the justice that you lead people in this room to do. God, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.